0: Hi, welcome to Coping with Colleen. I'm here to add a splash of positivity to your week as we talk about mental health and how to cope with whatever comes your way. Please know this account is not a substitute for therapy or any other clinical care. If you are struggling, please talk to your doctor and or find a local therapist. In the event of an emergency, call 911. Welcome back to another episode of Coping with Colleen. I am excited to bring you Lauren Mulcahy, social worker, LGBTQIA advocate, cat mom, and human (laughs) mother-to-be. Lauren is a close friend of mine who I respect greatly, and I'm so excited to share both her expertise and experience with you. A few quick things to note about the podcast in general, I have decided to provide you with the remaining episodes that have been recorded or scheduled, which includes four more episodes, and then counting that as season one of Coping with Colleen, pause shortly and hopefully return to you with season two. There will also be no episode next week as I will be out of town. The episode with Lauren shares tons of information and resources, so I won't make you wait much longer. You can check out the episode notes below for a wide variety of additional resources. Welcome to Kobe with Colleen, Lauren Mulcahy.
1: Woo, I'm excited.
0: <laughs> All right, so could you just introduce yourself real quick and what your current role is?
1: Yeah, so I am a certified social worker in the state of Kentucky, so that's just obviously a master's level social worker, kind of fancy word for that. It's different for state, so the license is kind of weird. But I currently work for St. Elizabeth Physicians. I am, a, like I said, a social worker in their care management department. So I provide short-term brief mental health therapy services within the primary care setting. Um, and it's grant-funded, so it's a free service to patients, kind of like a, a buffer in between like no treatment, and and long-term mental health treatment. Um, So it's a great opportunity to integrate behavioral health care into the primary care setting. I work with a lot of different professions, so nurses. um, We have a dietitian, We have respiratory therapists. Obviously, I work with doctors, psychiatrists, uh, behavioral health, APRNs, all of those different professions, just to obviously make sure that we're providing a holistic type of care to patients, ensuring that we're meeting all their needs. And I assist with other types of things, like connecting patients with resources for food, housing, nursing home placements, all those types of things. But the main focus is the mental health treatment. That's kind of my, my biggest role.
0: Yeah. Obviously not what I do right now, but definitely something I'm super passionate about and was like, you know, I know we both did that same, like a state, not a state, like
1: a, like a fellowship. Yeah. I was trying to
0: think of like the right word for it, like pushing social workers to be in more like primary care settings. It kind of incorporating that mental health and physical health
1: yeah integrating behavioral health into non-traditional settings yeah (laughs) Yeah, instead of just staying in the typical behavioral like outpatient type setting or inpatient setting integrating in schools hospitals doctors offices and I think we both obviously found a lot of interest and felt a need for that I know I think you you know working with schools and stuff like that obviously it's just a great opportunity to make um not only help break the stigma of mental health but just make also mental health services a lot more accessible I think to people rather than just yeah having to go to an outpatient setting so if we can bring the care to the patients or to the clients hopefully it's just easier for them to get the treatment that everybody needs
0: I definitely see like a lot more people being able to access it and um, yeah just being like a bit more convenient and then maybe you're more willing because it's more convenient and um, yeah so I definitely love that So I know you are very passionate about the LGBTQ community and that's sort of like our topic for today. So Mm -hmm. why don't we just kind of start with how, um, well, I guess, would you rather start with like your personal experiences or would you rather start more broadly, like how you've come to incorporate like LGBTQ inclusiveness into like your work and your
1: lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, we can start kind of just, I guess, if it's more helpful to start with like a kind of how I got, how I became passionate about it or or why um, I feel like it is a topic kind of worth talking about. Um, Kind of similar to how I got into providing mental health services. Um, Of course, I I based a lot of it on my own personal experiences. Um, I think a lot of therapists probably can relate to that. Once I got involved into the work, um, obviously starting out like in undergrad and graduate programs, I obviously started to to notice a lot more about social justice, you know, how to advocate for social justice and for minority populations. And, you know, just kind of breaking down the, uh, you know, who are we treating specifically, and what populations maybe are more vulnerable or at risk for, um, you know, mental illness. um, And and how can we really target those populations and, and, um, you know, determine how to advocate for them. I think, Obviously, a social worker's advocacy is a a huge component to what we do. So um, I I truly have, I think, the passion for using my education, which I think you had the minor too um, at Xavier, where I got my undergrad, my bachelor's degree. Um, I had a minor in gender diversity studies. So that was kind of like my first dive into like this concept and and this education. Um, And I recognize that not everybody uh, around us has that same type of privilege to have an education focuses on, on this type of advocacy. So that's kind of, that's kind of where it started. So kind of looking at, I guess, again, this population specifically related to mental health, i say, would that be kind of a yeah. good place to start, I guess? Talking yeah, about that?
0: especially, you know, I've just even recently, you know, I work strictly with with children, adolescents, but it comes up, pretty you know regularly like in our Mm -hmm. conversation just as they're exploring themselves and figuring things out and sometimes I hear parents or other employees or even some people above me like being like man it just comes up earlier and earlier how does a kid know if they're not heterosexual or they're not like cisgendered or things of that nature
1: right and a lot of times because this is obviously we're talking about minority population um a lot of times when you know children are born you know the parents automatically assume that the child is going to be straight and cisgendered until obviously they're able to express otherwise so kind of looking even at you know why it's important to advocate um, you know for this population and again later I can you know talk about my inclusivity but that's that brought a lot of obviously passion to it as well. Like I said, as the as the education piece, and I feel like there is a lot of misinformation and I'm not a lot of people that are educated. And again, it could just be because you know I'm I was privileged to have the degree and the minor related to it, and it's kind of hard to know like what education you know what resources are the most educational and whatnot. So, you know that's that's kind of like I said where the passion comes from, just wanting to educate people. Um, so that we are, we are more inclusive, we are respecting people, that, like I said, not only, I think, on a professional level, but I, I take this very personally, too. So even just looking at, I had pulled some, some specific statistics on, you know, this, this population in particular, and if I, if I shorten it by this LGBT or LGBTQ, I obviously mean, you know, the LGBTQIA population, sometimes it's just, it's a lengthy thing to say, so I might shorten it sometimes. <laughs> but about four and a half percent of a population um, identifies as as lesbian, gay, bisexual. And of that population, of that percentage, 39 percent reported having a mental illness within um, the past year. And I believe this was this was most recently updated. So I'm going to say probably 2020. And that's about almost six million people, which is more than the population of the state I live in Kentucky, um, which is again when we talk about four and a half percent it doesn't sound like a lot but the the point is that this this is affecting people um and that this is a a higher risk population obviously we can think of as to why you know again just people not being educated or this being um you know still kind of a stigma around around any type of um, sexual orientation or gender identity and just how to open up that conversation
0: and there are times that statistics like that are are most commonly assumed to be like underreported because some people don't feel safe mm-hmm. being able to, you know, share their their true identities and expressions. And yeah. So in a way, like we don't know. And right. we're talking about four percent of thousands and thousands of people. That's still a lot of but, people. Yeah, almost six million. Yeah. I definitely have noticed, at least in my little world, there's been like kind of a positive shift and mm-hmm. more awareness and incorporation of someone's identity into to um, the mental health world. Like, especially I've noticed with depression, because that community can be more mm-hmm. vulnerable to things like suicidal thoughts and attempts. And so really making sure that I'm asking the right kinds of questions to help someone feel that they're safe with me and I can like support yeah. them and, you know, coming out to other people in their lives or exploring right. like, how they feel versus how the world makes them feel and like all those sorts of things. I've definitely noticed some changes and it's Mm -hmm. been a learning experience for me as someone who identifies as straight and, you know, it Mm -hmm. hasn't been something that I've personally ever had to go through. Um, And frankly, that's, that's, I don't want to say that's lucky because it's not, it's never wrong. Like, yeah, yeah, privilege. That's a better word for it. Because there's certainly like just barriers that I haven't had to hurdle. Um right so yeah that was a bit of a rambling thought but I guess where I was going with it whether like from your own clientele or things of that nature what kind of maybe typical stressors do you notice whether they're like clinical or just social like between different friends Mm -hmm. you have and things like that what do you notice that seems to be like particularly common among that community
1: yeah so I think initially um and I guess it would be helpful to state that I I work with with people of all ages so Mm -hmm. I think my youngest patient that I've worked with in the setting I'm in now has been nine years old my oldest being in in their late 80s so um, I've worked with with all ages of people so I'm definitely in an environment where you know like I said I'm not limited to just one age group or something I'll, I'll talk kind of about I think in this setting it's mostly been with with some of my minor patients so patients ranging from the age of probably like 12 Um, up until maybe like 16, 17, the concept of exploring their identity in all forms, including sexual orientation and gender is a much more, I think, open concept than it was probably like, you know, 20 years ago. And obviously there's a lot more platforms to really explore what the heck these, what LGBTQIA really means, right? What all these terms mean and labels mean? So I think, you know, looking at it from that standpoint, that these children, I mean, that's what they are, children, and even adults are just trying to explore every aspect of who they are. Um, And that can be really tough, right? If you are questioning, you know, the type of people you're attracted to, if you're questioning what clothing feels comfortable to wear, what name is comfortable, how you're developing, if all these things are causing you to some sort of distress to the point where, you know, you're, you're wanting to talk about, um, about it and about, you know, what that means for you and about what does feel comfortable. I try to just, I think, take more of a standpoint, again, professionally and personally, that you don't have to have the label first, you can explore what what does make you comfortable about, again, how you like to dress, you know, how you want to cut your hair, if you want to wear makeup, if, um, you know, the type of people you're attracted to before you completely identify with with a certain label. So, that's kind of the good thing about, I think, um, you know, like I said, providing the setting and therapy specifically, that safe space, because, um, you know, obviously, in, in an environment where you might be around, like your, you know, parents or people around you who don't fully understand, it can be really hard to have that, you know, safe exploration, and feeling like you almost have to have the, like I said, the label initially before just figuring out, you know who you are and, and if a label feels comfortable I think a lot of times we, we put labels to things to feel included in, in a in a community or you know some, same thing kind of with like religion right A identifying with a set of beliefs gives you a platform or an outlet in a community um, to feel included with and safe with so I think you know the the, the concept of labeling you know our gender identity or sexual orientation is just another way that we can feel you know, included and and accepted and and be able to relate to others around us. Um, It seems
0: to serve as like a normative and like an explanatory purpose too. Like they're like, this has a name, you know, or like, then it makes it easier for me to explain it to somebody else. And I know I'm not alone and all those sorts of things. And that pressure of feeling like you have to be a certain kind of way or like you have to mm-hmm. have a specific label is something that I hadn't really fully conceptualized but I was just having a conversation recently about it and someone was seeing that they've noticed a lot of that like they're the folks that they work with are are feeling that pressure to land in a specific mm-hmm. spot
1: yeah
0: in this particular worker tries to phrase things as like being very fluid and a spectrum of sorts mm-hmm. and it's just as you were sharing, completely okay and completely normal to explore that in all different kinds of ways. And you don't have to, yeah. you know, quote unquote, land anywhere, or you can take as long as you need, you know, and you can change your mind and all different kinds yeah. of things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the concept of, and there is, you know, the research and, and evidence to back this up, that this is obviously not in any way like a mental disorder. It is something, you know, our, our gender identity and sexual orientation are part of what makes us diverse. And this is a part of, some, this is something that we are born with or it just when we figure it out might be later on. So obviously, um, you know, the difference between our biological sex and, and gender, you know, those are two very different things. You know, sex being assigned at birth based on, you know, our reproductive organs versus gender being, you know, how we choose to identify, you know, and, and whether that's more masculine or feminine, or, um, you know, not deciding to conform with either being non-binary. So I think knowing that um, it's just a part of who we are. Um, and I think working in the healthcare setting, it's definitely been um, an important piece to not only mental health care but physical care too, you know, and, and knowing that it's okay to to ask these questions and, and to talk about this openly because, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with being, you know, who you are. And obviously, you know, another big big thing that I've seen with this specific population is, you know, people that identify in this community are, you know, more likely to attempt suicide, more likely to, to be at risk for homelessness, you know, all of these things because of, of things like, others around them being uneducated or, you know, not being supportive, um, whether, you know, based on, again, not being educated or just specific beliefs. So I think knowing that, it's, you know, like I said, it's just trying to make it a safe conversation to have for people is definitely really important. And that's, like I said, I think that's where a lot of the advocacy comes from. Another statistic I found was 8% of people in this community and nearly 27% that were specifically transgender reported being denied healthcare needs like outright. And again, that's really scary for denying yeah. people care just based on how they identify. Um, I, I just saw an article today. Well, for the
0: record, these episodes are pre recorded. So by the time that I'm saying today, it's no longer, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it might be a couple of weeks uh, past yeah. us the point that you're listening. But anyway, there was an article this morning, I think it was Texas. I'm not a thousand percent sure but I'm pretty sure it's Texas mm-hmm. is like lobbying for a law that children can actually be removed from their parents for their parents giving them gender affirming treatments like whether that's hormones or bringing them to a gender clinic and things like that and I, I, I couldn't believe that yeah how scary you know that's just yeah I can't find the words for that
1: yeah and it, it doesn't really make sense as to why you know this is not personally I think a lot of times it gets misinterpreted as a political issue. This is a human rights um, issue and, and thing that obviously no human should be denied their rights based on, you know, how they choose to identify. So um, I just shared something. There's another article today about Florida passing a bill that would require females in, a, in the high school setting to be subjected to having to reveal their genitalia in order to play a sport um and how humiliating degrading inhumane i mean it's just and again i I always say this is my biggest thing i say to people that um you know have different beliefs than me or might be kind of struggling to really grasp the education you do not have to fully understand or believe in something to respect somebody um the 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 ad team is i think the easiest thing that we can do is just be respectful to each other be kind and if you have your own bias and personal beliefs, you know, as long as you're not using those to, to take away others' rights or discriminate or hurt other people, you know, I, I can't change your mind that way. But I think just knowing that this is, this is about, um, you know, people's lives, you know, high school students specifically in this community are four times more as likely to have attempted suicide compared to heterosexual individuals. So that's really terrifying because we already know that, you know, uh, suicide is number one leading cause of you know of death within all ages, and I think just knowing that if we can prevent it from any way, whether that's just making people feel more accepted or giving care to people that that really need it, we can save some people. You know, and and just know that people feel safe. I think that's the big thing. Like I said, respective and safe. Um, and like I said, I use that not only professionally, but I think personally as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, just so much added pressure, or shame, or guilt, or confusion, yeah. um, feeling like you have to be a certain way, and maybe you're not that way, and I see most often when someone seems to struggle to understand, it's because they're like, well, I don't understand, like, if they're born with it, then how do how do they not know yet? Like, I think mm-hmm. people get very confused with the questioning part of things, yeah. Um Or like, if we're talking about transgenderism, like, well, what if they change their minds? Or I think there's Mm -hmm. just a lot of hesitancy. What would you say to someone who's maybe, I guess, two parts, what would you say to someone who's questioning their own identity themselves? And then what would you say to like, their support person who doesn't know how to like, feel about that or respond to that?
1: Yeah. So I think starting with, um, like, if I start with the like the patient or the client, you know, that is, or the person that is, you know, questioning any um, concept of like their sexual orientation or gender identity, again, other than straight or cisgender, I always, like I said, bring up the point of you do not need to have a label, you know, immediately, you can, you can explore this in every aspect, you know, wear different clothing, figure out who, you know, who you're attracted to, or, or what makes you feel comfortable versus uncomfortable and in distress. Um, that's the biggest thing I would say. Um, the other thing that any education I can provide to them, so what does, you know, transgender mean? Transgender, you know, does is not limited to completely transitioning and, you know, uh, gender or, um, yeah, reassignment surgery. You don't need to do that to identify as transgender, right? So knowing that um, this, this label means different things to different people and and again there's different ends of the spectrum so some people you know transition one way some people transition another way and again just educating on the I think the the labels um and these like you said kind of you know the more that we kind of know maybe we can kind of understand you know where where we kind of fit or what what does kind of sound more appropriate for us um so I think just making the education and the conversation open to knowing that it's really tough to not feel like you know who you are Mm -hmm. um, in any aspect especially when it comes to how we identify um, or what makes us us and then when you're looking at okay well I'm you know this is different than anybody else in my family or Mm -hmm. this is different than any of my friends you know they have it all figured out they don't they're not questioning Um, you know that just kind of shows that this is something that you know, they didn't have to question their sexual orientation or anything because they were assigned that way, right? They knew that, you know, that that was something they were born with. On the other end, looking at if it's a parent, if it's a friend, if it's somebody in your life that is struggling to to really understand or respect or having these concerns or questions, those are those are valid. And I think allowing people to mess up into ask these uncomfortable questions, like, you know, it without, you know, with letting them know, like, you will not offend us for wanting to be educated, right? You, we will not offend somebody for wanting to know more. Um, the, the point is, is uh, I think when presented with the education, um, you know, that's, that's when it kind of becomes like, if you choose to really open your mind or, you know, limit yourself to, to what you're, you're willing to, explore. Um, and, and when this is if this is somebody in your life that you love or have respect for, I think that really does help. Because, you know, it, it just shows that you you do want to be there for them in every aspect. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's not up to you to fully be responsible or worry about how they choose to identify. So if it's a matter of well, I don't want them to be bullied, because they look different. Well, unfortunately, that's not something that, you know, um, kids, first of all, I wish that bullying did not happen, period. Um, but I, I would say there's a lot of other things that, that would factor into that as well. Mm-hmm. So knowing that it's a matter of this person being comfortable in their own skin and body. And of course, I think I've dealt with in professional setting, parents, I've had some parents be very, very open and wanting to learn, it, like I said, be educated. Um, but then again, people are hesitant. They don't know what to say. They don't know what terms to use. And that's the whole point: is that you you're you're letting me know that and you're letting the you know the person know that so that we can educate you. And that's so you're opening that conversation and making them feel safe and comfortable to continue you know really exploring so that you can understand it better too. Um, you being you know the I
0: the, think
1: it's whoever in the situation,
0: right? It's a, a beautiful sentiment that you had shared earlier that like really. The root of all of this is just respecting another human mm-hmm. being. So, if you're coming at it from a place of love and respect, then there's always room to grow yeah. um, in a positive way. I'll make sure that I share some resources too. I know one popular in the Cincinnati area is Glisten, though I do believe they have mm-hmm. other chapters and there's tons and tons of resources, whether it's like yeah. a whole list of terms that, like, a, you know, a a parent and a teen can look through together, or you know, an individual yeah. or whatever it is. There's there's groups and
1: all different kinds. Yeah, of I can email you what I pulled from Nami, and then also what I've given to my coworkers about Perfect. Um, how to be an ally, and and even um, more specifically, you know, some dos and dolls and stuff like that. You just so that you can yeah it's important absolutely know? that yeah. way
0: like if you're listening to this and then you're interested in like continuing to to grow and to learn you have um mm-hmm. more resources at your fingertips yep shifting just a little bit would you like to speak on your own experiences
1: yeah so um again I, I kind of mentioned that I think a lot of the passion not only comes from a professional standpoint my role as a social worker and an advocate but I take a lot of this um personally. So, within my role, um, I have volunteered and been asked to be on committees, um, regarding this topic, um, engage in, in uh, activating support groups. Um, I've also been a, an educator for, again, people personally and professionally. Um, so I openly came out as bisexual. I was trying to figure out when I wish I had a better coming out for it. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I think I was 21, 20 or 21. I don't know at that point in my life what got me to be open with it. Um, Some margaritas from my memory. <laughs> right, yeah. That's when I told my mom. I don't remember what I told you, Colleen. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I can't, were you we still a Xavier? I want to say I was still in,
0: in undergrad. You were, yeah. Or from like, okay. from when you were shared that with me, you were,
1: yeah. Okay, so I was probably like 20 or 21, right. So at this point in my life, I was in undergrad. I think I was becoming more confident in who I was as a person. So um, I say college was the best opportunity for me to figure out who I am as a person because I'm obviously in a different environment. I'm learning and figuring out what I'm passionate about. Um, And I have somebody in my life. My now husband at the time, he was my boyfriend, his cousin. I felt really safe and comfortable Talking about it with him because of his own um, experiences and stuff like that. So, I, I want to say I started by coming out to a few close friends, and I remember my mom and again my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. And I did not get the best reaction from the majority of the people I told. Colleen, you did great, <laughs> um, <laughs> but there were some some people in my life. Um, again, at this point, I had been in a heterosexual relationship, uh, since I was 18. So at about three years, I guess, at that point. Um, and it was kind of just a shock mm-hmm. for everybody around me. Again, I, I wish I kind of knew what got me to really be open about it. I think I just didn't care anymore. Um, I, and like I said, I think I was becoming more confident in who I was to the point where I felt like this was something that just continued to help me express who I am. I also thought, Um, If anybody is going to judge me for this, I know how to handle this now. I'm in a good position um, and, you know, independently where I'm not worried kind of about about the backlash. And I, I truly didn't think that anybody, and again, this is very lucky for me. And I'm very privileged to have not had, you know, the worst situation possible when sharing this about myself. Speaking about the negative experiences, if I had to, if anybody listening can benefit from this, if somebody openly comes out to you that they identify as any other sexual orientation other than straight and, and any other gender identity other than um, cisgender, which is I identify as cisgender, um, do not, please do not tell them or say to them, no, you're not. So if somebody comes out to you that they're bisexual, that they are gay, that they're husband, please do not respond and say, no, you're not. So that was that was a response I got. I got, are you sure you're not this drunk? Um, I had... Friends of mine asking if I had ever been attracted to them, female friends asking that, which really made me uncomfortable and kind of feel, I don't even know the right word to say how I felt at that moment. Um, I just kind of shut down. Like, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. How Um, hurtful
0: and invalidating to, like, build up the courage to finally say how you're feeling and then be told that you're wrong, like, about your own you know, thoughts and feelings and self. And I think the response of have you ever been attracted to me comes from this perception and stigma that folks in the LGBTQ community are like, this hyper sexualized idea. If if you are attracted to someone of the same gender, or specifically bisexuality, really, if you're attracted to people both, both gender binaries yeah um then you must be sexually attracted to everybody right. you meet and you know like right you could never be in the locker room with another person or ch- you right. know all of those things which is not true because think of your think of, like yeah. okay so I'm attracted to to men I don't walk around the streets like right. wanting to jump every guy's pants or something
1: <laughs> like, right and and I think you know the concept of like you can be attracted like I can find women attractive and not be sexually you know or not identify sure. a, a different sex orientation so you know i'm sure that that anybody that is straight would say like oh yeah that person's beautiful or attractive you know that's not it's not limited to just that um just the sexual you know appearance wise mm-hmm. so that was the biggest thing um so because of that response and again i know you know and i'm not trying to compare i know people have had it easier i know people have had it a lot worse this is obviously just my you know personal experience so because of that I did not I was not as open with it with everybody in my life um it was still something where I knew people looking at me would just assume that I was straight um on top of being in a heterosexual relationship and what I- unique position to come
0: out when you've been in a long-term committed relationship yeah I'm sure that makes things just a little bit different than it has been for maybe some other folks yeah. I don't know if that's fair to say
1: yeah. Well, and then I had people telling me, well, you've never been with a woman. So how do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that was another thing. I think I knew in fifth grade, if I'm, if, if I look back on it now, um, and I always felt like people around me knew that I was, I, I don't know if difference the right word. Um, I just felt like my friends, my family, they knew, and, and apparently nobody did. <laughs> and so that was just me assuming that it wasn't, something again that I I needed to kind of worry about or be ashamed of and I don't know if shame was ever something I felt before coming out and then coming out and and people saying like um I love my mom I love you mom (laughs) if you ever listen to this but um she was one of the ones that that responded um are you sure you're not just drunk and my mom has always respected and loved me no matter what which again I'm very privileged for um but maybe not the best response initially. And I think again, a lot of people oh, and I also had people concerned about my husband or my boyfriend at the time, not my husband, about his feelings, which I get, but again, maybe not the first response. Yeah. Um when absolutely. somebody here's that I, I did have really great experiences. So like when I came out with some to some friends and my siblings actually my brother was, was just very, very validating and, and respectful about it. So that was that was helpful. I think Talking about, I, I would say I can kind of talk about uh, the heterosexual aspect, being with my husband now, he, yeah, if I'm being honest, he did not, uh, he felt very threatened when I shared that about myself. Um, and I tried to understand his feelings um, and, and really empathize with them as much as I could being in that difficult position of like, I just shared this and now you're mad at me. Um yeah. And I did ask for permission to talk about this, um, because obviously I'm kind of not speaking for him, but sharing his feelings. He, I believe, after talking about it, like I said, felt very threatened, felt that I it was something I was hiding from him intentionally,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is not the case. So, um, and I also felt like he assumed that this was me sharing like, okay, I'm leaving you to now go mm-hmm. be somebody of a different gender. So Not the case. Um, and it took, I would say about a year to really, um, have this open conversation about why it was important for me to share this, why it took me so long being, you know, in my twenties when I I knew early on. Um, and you know, I think now we are, and obviously we're we're married now. Um, I think we are in a a good place now, but I really, he's been a, a crucial, person that I have shared and educated um about this not only population but my own experiences too and you know I I really think he's made a lot of progress in that and um again obviously he we live together so he gets (laughs) he gets me all the time talking about it um but again I think even just from my personal experience you know he he really respects me and I know he always has. it just initially yeah it was it was really difficult and I think people again looking at it um on the outside me saying that I and and at this point I I don't know if if bisexual is the right label I prefer to use anymore I believe pan might be pansexual might be a bit more appropriate just meaning that um it's not limited to any gender you know who I would you know be a be attracted to you know other than just obviously appearance wise um so I think it took a lot but but knowing that you know by coming out it's not saying that you know obviously I have a preference for one another like you said I'm not attracted to every person Mm -hmm. that is and everybody's beautiful in their own way right but um just like anybody that's straight it's like you know we have you know preferences and you you have these things about yourself and um uh, but and yeah that
0: relationship is still a committed relationship you know I mean some people choose to like have an open relationship that's not when I'm speaking on here, like, but uh, to me, like, of course, it makes sense that you, you wanted to share this part of who you are without saying that you were leaving your husband, right. or someone else.
1: Yeah. And I think knowing that I got to a point where I could express that just kind of showed, like I said, with where I was at with my own self, and, and who I was, you know, I, being in my teens, you know, I was definitely not a very confident person. And, and obviously, self love and confidence is an ongoing journey. But I think just, um you know, feeling comfortable sharing it at that point. Again, I don't really know necessarily what it was, but I do believe that a lot of it was I was just figuring out and, and becoming okay with, with who mm-hmm. I am and in every aspect. Right. Um and like I said, I, I give a lot of credit to that to to Xavier and to finding my my niche being social work and figuring out, you know, um what I was passionate about and right. stuff like that. So
0: and I, I do want folks listening to know that it's okay to have an emotional response to someone coming mm-hmm. out, you know, like for example, you're at the time boyfriend, like he mm-hmm. was one of the people closest to you. Of course, he's going to have um, right. a response, some kind of thoughts or feelings about it. And that that's, yeah. that's normal and that's okay. But also just if you do like become in this position, taking a step, second to think about how vulnerable of a moment that is, um, mm-hmm. you know and how tenderly that deserves to be responded to with yeah um, you know and I don't know why this is popping into my head because they're not comparable but for example when someone um, discloses abuse so another mm-hmm. tender moment but very different like yeah. that initial response is what is most important for them like all the preceding events um yeah. so typically when there is something major to share that first person's, response to someone is then going to impact the way that they continue to share that information or if they do or do not continue to share that information or, um, right. how they choose to move forward.
1: Yeah. And I think getting past that point, again, with my now husband, I, we we're married now and we've been together for six and a half years together, married, um, like six months or something and <laughs> pregnant right now too with a mm-hmm. baby. Um, so I think getting past that point, um, like us growing and and again having this conversation and getting to a point where you know um he still sometimes it's like we have different passions so for me this this is something like i said i'm continuing to educate him about and be very passionate about uh, but that got me to a point again now being 25 where i have I believe openly came out about everybody that I can without posting it, like, you know, like (laughs) on a, like a a public forum saying like, Hey, this is who I am. But Mm -hmm. I do make it very known. Like I said, in in my workplace setting, I've, I've openly shared my sexuality and my inclusion in this community because um, I think it's helpful. Like I said, and if people are comfortable asking me questions, talking to me, um, I'm, I'm completely here for that. You know, I, I think, just like I said when we're presented with the education it allows for us to be um you know potentially open our mind more rather than me just coming at you with my opinions and beliefs right so I try to focus it not only on my experience but a lot on the research and the evidence behind behind these things um because I think at that point then I'm not just telling you to believe something because it's what I believe or something like that
0: what would you say um was most helpful to your husband in like better understanding or maybe coming to a place of acceptance
1: yeah I think allowing him like we kind of said to have his own feelings and his sure. response to it um and really allowing myself to um to empathize and to understand where he was coming from without putting my guard up like well you know without taking it very personally like you said because it's okay to to not understand something if you never have been really exposed to it before um nobody I think at that point point and in, in my life um like in my family or anything had really been open about this um or about having you know a sexual orientation other than, than straight and I think he had a similar experience to that so we were very similar so giving him the opportunity and the time to grow and learn together. You know, I was figuring out who I am, um, and what I'm comfortable with. Just like, you know, he was becoming more comfortable with the concept of, of me, um, you know, and what this what my sexual orientation meant again, and knowing that we were secure come in a committed relationship. I had no intentions of leaving him. Um, but that this was something that I needed to share about myself because, I just wanted to, I wanted to be happy and be, you know, who, who I was. Um, so I think getting to that point was really important. And um, I mean, we had arguments about it, obviously, you know, I, I got defensive and, and he had gotten, that's pretty common, but like I said, we just continued. I didn't, um, I gave him the room to grow. So I think that was the biggest thing. Um, and at any point, if I felt like I needed extra support dealing with that, I would seek positive support in my life um people that I knew I that it was safe to talk to Mm -hmm. um you know I I went to therapy for I think when I was 23 um processed a lot of trauma and things like that um and then obviously like I said I have great friends in my life but um, other people like I said that I just continue to talk to if at any point I needed to feel you know a little bit more supported but um I think now like I said being married and um He's definitely more understanding, and he actually now is educating people around him, which I think wow. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, like for some reason, all his friends and his friend group—they all thought it was crazy. Oh, what? Lauren's not straight. It's like it's not this crazy thing that um it, again that literally means anything other than just you know, I I would choose to to have a partner that is of any gender or you know, sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. I think so um you know I'm still me and this is just I think a part of me yeah. and I think it like you said I, I, I use it as a as a form to educate others and yeah and feel that's my amazing. passion so
0: yeah. yeah. And I have to tell you uh, to to me personally, it's like the most amazing, beautiful thing to grow in the same direction as your partner and to be able to like yeah. educate and inspire each other. I've seen my partner grow in so many ways. And I felt myself mm-hmm. grow coming from two different, like totally different um, professions and sometimes like trains of thought and different things. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing to like educate each other and then watch like that person take that new knowledge and you know continue to spread yeah. it. I think that's definitely something that fills my cup.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, talking about how, how as people, can we just be more, you know, speak more gender fluid or kind of, you know, create the the concept of, um, you know, recognizing that, uh, you know, not leaving a lot of room for assumption, like assuming people's gender or sex orientation. Um, and if we do knowing that, okay, how do we recover from that? Um, the way I've chosen to change my language when speaking professionally and personally, you know, instead, like, if, if I'm talking to a man, instead of, you know, again, and this is mostly in the sessions, I've experienced this, instead of saying, like, oh, your girlfriend or your wife, mm-hmm. I'll say your partner, I just mm-hmm. replace that very simple word with gender, you know, fluid or neutral terms, partner, significant other spouse, um, until the patient or until the, that person's able to openly identify, um, you know, who they're, who they're talking about. And same thing with with pronouns, if, if they don't openly identify, if I haven't, you know, directly asked, or they haven't shared, use gender neutral pronouns. And, and using they, we do that all the time, I think. So just knowing that if you don't know, then there's these, there are gender neutral terms you can use. And if you're uncomfortable asking, figuring out and exploring what is a comfortable way to ask so that you are, again, respecting people and limiting the the chance of offending mm-hmm. or you know assuming someone's gender or sexual orientation so and it's easy um, okay to
0: ask like sometimes right um yeah especially with folks who are a little bit more so in like an exploratory phase sometimes I'll mm-hmm. see things like how would you like me to refer to that person do you want me to call right. them your girlfriend your boyfriend your partner your friend like yeah. are you not you're not totally sure comfortable to like put that label on it yet and I just let yeah. them take the lead and follow what they feel most comfortable with
1: yeah and I even you know I speak about myself like that in in sessions with with patients specifically I always just say my partner Um, like I said it's about just kind of changing my language overall so that way it just becomes more like instead of just saying girlfriend or boyfriend I'm now Mm -hmm. saying partner and that just becomes a more common thing that I'm used to so that I am leaving more room for, for the patient to identify or the person to identify themselves. And Mm -hmm. yeah, even with being in a healthcare setting, I ask again, if they're minors, I ask, okay, how do you want me to refer to you to mom and dad or to Mm -hmm. guardian or to your doctor? Um, and we're really working in the healthcare setting about how to make, um, make the, you know, the care aspect more inclusive, you know, using preferred names, where to Mm -hmm. include preferred pronouns. Um, and just trying to again make it more of an inclusive, um, inclusive, you know, community thing, and 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 something where, um, you know, it's just becoming more normal to talk about these sometimes uncomfy—I use the word uncomfy a lot—uncomfy <laughs> things <laughs> um, that we're just worried about offending people, right? We don't want to offend people, and um, the best way to to reduce that is just to educate yourself, ask questions, and know that you know. I would hope sometimes there maybe are dumb questions, but most questions are um you know there's always kind of an answer behind that or room to to really explore that and and figure out the best answer for it. so
0: I have one last question for you before we sort of wrap up since you did share that you're pregnant um yeah. I was wondering if you would like to share what's like your biggest hope for your child and their future generation or or a different way to answer it, like how do you hope to parent your child in a way to like be inclusive and loving and respectful?
1: Yeah, so I think knowing what I know now and based on how I grew up, um, like I said, I think a lot of times we, because it is the majority, we assume that children, our children are born, you know, straight or cisgender. I think allowing my mind to be open to the concept of my daughter, I'm having a girl, might grow up to identify other than what her, you know, what her biological sex says and being okay with that, you know, not being afraid to present her with other types of people, other types of, um, you know, there's a lot of books out there um, (laughs) that that are just more on these topics. And knowing that her playing with a truck doesn't mean that she's going to grow up to, you know, be any, or it's not going to shift how she chooses to identify um, you know, knowing that these things, allowing her to just express herself the way that she wants to um, and, and, you know, doing that through love and acceptance. And again, talking about these topics as they are not taboo, um, you know, being open about my experiences, being open about who I am, you know, who her dad is and, and our own experiences, um, not limiting her to a gender assigned clothing or toy, knowing that you know, clothing and toys don't have a gender as a society, we've created that. But, you know, there's no law that says that my daughter can, like I said, not wear something from the boys clothes or something like that. So
0: um,
1: I think just more so looking at gender as again, this this type of way that we choose to identify with what is most comfortable, whether that's more feminine, feminine, masculine. um, So just giving her that freedom. um, And I think, like I said, you know as parents or if you're a future parent or wanting to be a parent, um, the love and, and respect and educating your kids and not being fearful of them growing up to be something that you know where they could be bullied or they might be different, but embracing that truly um, yes. is, is the and best I, thing i would I would say yes. yeah
0: and I don't want anyone <laughs> to think that then that like forces the child you know by raising Mm-mm. by allowing your daughter to choose blue shirts and green shirts and trucks if she wants doesn't then like make her want to be a boy like she will grow however she will grow and um children's minds are are so much more like wonderfully Mm -hmm. open than most people realize um and it will it will only help her um no matter how, how she chooses to identify, it will
1: help her understand other people. And um, yeah, teach her to love other people for who they are. And and recognize that, you know, there are these differences that that make up make us who we are. Mm -hmm. Not every person, person, excuse me, is going to look the same as you, or act the same as you or dress the same as you. And that's okay. But but knowing that we can we can love these people and understand them as who they are, and not just as you know, these things that we see or that we have in our head or any bias that we might have, um, or just not being educated again. So, um, I don't know if, if, uh, she's ready for me as a parent, but, um, <laughs> <You will be. laughs> uh, again, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, um, you know, like I said, I, and of course I'm expecting to make mistakes. I'm expecting to not do things mm-hmm. perfectly, but I think that the point is, it's just, um, like I said, giving her the opportunity to, to love herself. And mm-hmm. love other people. Um, no no matter age. how the heck she identifies.
0: Sorry, I'm like getting on a soapbox. There's no specific mm-hmm. age at when, like, when it's then acceptable to start talking about these things. Like, yeah. there are always age-appropriate ways to have conversations right. about race, gender, sex. It doesn't mean you're talking about like penetration. There, there's just so many. Yeah ways to like help a child understand the world. Um, so I get a little bit frustrated when people are like, Oh, they're, they're too young to know what a -hmm. a gay couple is. And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Diversity is a concept that entails so much more than just those scary things that we're worried about our kids being exposed to. And in reality, it's out there. And and if, if my child's going to be exposed to, something on TV or something in the media, like I'd rather them ask me about it and, and have them, you know, ask me, you know, uh, what LGBTQ stands for rather than, you know, be left to question and be like, what the heck is this? Until they're, you know, to the point where it's like they're, they're seeing it or, you know, somebody tells them about it. Like, I just want that conversation to remain open yeah. um, and know that, that there's no shame in, in being different or being a minority population and um and not everybody deserves the love and respect so
0: yeah wonderful wonderful sorry for <laughs> getting too excited and cutting you off
1: sometimes, I think <laughs> you do that
0: sometimes. It's a bad habit of mine but thank you so so much for for coming on and um speaking so openly and hopefully educating some folks and kind of opening the door to further conversations if you'd are willing i'm like trying this new thing in my wrap-up of people naming their favorite coping skills since the the podcast is called coping with colleen so if you just want to share like a favorite skill we can kind of wrap Mm -hmm. up from there unless there's anything else you want to add before we close out
1: no that's a a tough one colleen everybody's different (laughs) i'm trying to think what mine is i think i have it though i think i have a good one my favorite coping skill I don't know if your viewers, know. I didn't, I didn't show this by myself. I'm 100% a cat lady. Um, So my way of coping, if I'm dealing with any type of anxiety, distress, um, I really one enjoy being outdoors and in the nature aspect, I find it to be very spiritual um, and just uh, very peaceful. And then on top of that, my animals, my two cats are um, a huge emotional support for me. Um, just the comfort, the uh, being with them, and, and things like that. So I really utilize my pets and um, nature specifically. Whether that means if I right now I don't really have too much energy to walk, but just being outside and, like I said, kind of um, being on my own mind and and um, kind of use, using that as like a mindfulness um, mindfulness act. And with the with the nice weather outside, it's it's a lot more easy. It's a lot easier to. To be able to enjoy that. So I think those are my two best best coping skills that I utilize right now with kind of the circumstances. So love it.
0: Hopefully, as I keep asking that question, it gives folks like a whole different toolbox to to pull things from.
1: Yeah. Pets can be great. I always say that. Like if you have your pet, just they don't judge you. They don't talk <laughs> back to you. Um, and like I said, sometimes it's like I just want to feel um, and have that comfort nearby but not have anybody give me any unsolicited advice or opinions or things like that so and like I said then nature too being a very peaceful and mindful thing for me specifically so I try to take the cast outside every time every day when I get home from work that's like their favorite part of the day and kind of my favorite part of the day too it's a nice way to unwind after a Friday full of crisis so oh. <laughs> yeah
0: well, thank you again, Lauren. Um, this has been wonderful. No
1: problem. Thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Coping with Colleen. As always, I'm happy to have you here on this journey. And I hope that you learned something. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, and or subscribe so that others can continue to find it too. Until next time.